Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Diaspora Chiefs podcast, soon to be the Diaspora Entrepreneurs podcast. The story behind that is coming very soon. But today we have an amazing guest, an amazing human being on this podcast today. And um, she currently um, lives in Doha and Qatar, very beautiful place. I wish she's going to tell us about that in a minute. Welcome, the lovely Carla Magdalene. She's an educator. She lives in Doha. She was, um, she's, she's a diaspora anyways from the United Kingdom. A background, she's going to speak about it. And um, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Carla Magdalene. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. So how is, um, how is the lovely Doha today? It's amazing. It's such an amazing place. There's always something new being built or going up around you. Um, it's really a really interesting place and the weather is really nice. Not like everywhere else at the moment is quite cold, but here it's kind of, it's, it's around 20, 25, you know, so it's like um, British summer, but that's the temperature we have now. So it's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah, what made you, what made you choose that location anyways? Um, I kind of feel like I didn't choose it. I feel like it chose me because I'd never heard of Doha until um, about a month before I got an interview for a job here. I was looking at working overseas and I, it just, I just ended up here, really. It wasn't by design. It wasn't by, um, on purpose, but I feel like it was by design because once I got here, what I thought I was going to be doing completely changed and then I ended up doing something else and I feel like that was just the way it was meant to be because that's now I'm just really happy in what I'm doing and it's growing and expanding. So I feel like the place chose me for that reason because I, I just wouldn't have found myself in the middle of the desert in a place called Doha. It just wasn't part <laughs> of my life plan. <laughs> <laughs> I see that, that's interesting. That's an interesting one. So what do you currently do in Doha? I work as a special educator in um, the Aspire Academy, which is the home of the world, the 2022 World Cup. So we are the school that's producing the teams for the World Cup. And um, it's a special school that's designed for boys who are talented in sports. They're all sports athletes. Some of them play football. Some of them are athletes, um, runners, you know, sprinters, throwers, all of that. We have kids who do fencing. Um, and other sports with federations locally. And my job basically is to work with the students that come in that are struggling with their English language because we have a specialized curriculum program here because the boys face so many demands with their sports. We have to work with them in a very special way in order to push them academically. Um, I have a background in special educational needs um, and I can work with students who are extremely gifted at one end of the spectrum and also students who are struggling academically. And most students are a mixture of both. So that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I design interventions and um, learning programs for student athletes. Wow, that is, that is, <laughs> that is um, very challenging. Um, I would say exciting as well. How do you find it? Is it very fulfilling? It's a lot of fun. It's a, a real lot of fun. It's one of those jobs that um, you kind of, you need your energy every day. And if you don't have your energy, they will make sure that by the time you leave, you're either, you're either flat out drained or you found some energy. Um, they're teenage boys. 
um, and they're athletes, so you know they're full of energy and they're full of personality and character. Um, I never stop smiling. They just make me laugh every day, and you know they make me scratch my head and it's just like, what is this? Um, but it's an incredible, incredible job. I love it very much. And it was an accident. I was here by accident, but I just, I just love it. You know, really, it, I just thrive on it. So it's great. Yeah, I can see you thriving because the way you smile, your face, your face just lights up when we start talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, this so what, I, you, I have all my accountability sheets that I track them. Can you see it? It's like just like... <laughs> I can see them. Every single thing they do has to be documented because they just you have to really keep on top of them. Um, but it's, it's fantastic. Working with kids is amazing because they, they are just real and whatever they show you is who they are. You just you have to respond to it, you know, and you have to be ready. Oh, that's good. That's good. So being, being an educator, um, you started a side project or a side hustle or a side venture. Why? I have. Um, because I just want to be better. I want better for my students. Um, I've been doing, I've been in for more than 15 years um, and I've been a parent for more than 20 so I'm really passionate about kids. I feel like the way that kids get treated and the way that the adults respond to them is really important because it shapes their future. And so for me, all of this that I'm doing and all the side ventures are just as an attempt to improve the education system. I've been in it for so long. I've been a student when I was a child growing up. I've been a parent and I've been an educator. And so I've seen a lot in the education system, a lot that works really well and is really special and is great and a lot of stuff that doesn't work and needs to be changed so for me I realized that I had a unique experience and perspective that I could build on um, as an educator by developing these other projects um, a lot of it comes out of part of my role is providing training for other teachers on how to deal with difficult students I've been doing that for a number of years as well so once I saw the challenges that the teachers were facing and that a lot of them were passionate but they just couldn't they couldn't get to that point where they felt like they were really enjoying their work because there were just so many demands that led me to start thinking about ways that I could help and ways that I could contribute I have an excess of energy so sometimes people would be like aren't you tired and I'd just be like yeah but <laughs> I still want to do more <laughs> stuff yeah um, so knowing that and knowing that I have that and that sometimes my colleagues and other teachers are tired at the end of the day but I'm still full of energy or, you know, I, I'm tired for a time, but then after an hour, I'm ready to jump back up again. Um, I knew that I could do more, that I had some, you know, skills and some extra energy to contribute and develop something to help more people get out of education, what I get out of, of it. Yeah, because you started this, you started this company, Wellbeing and Wonder. What, yeah. what, yeah, what's the motivation behind that? Is it what you just spoke about? Yeah, it's all about teacher well-being um, and um, there's always a lot of talk about the students and student well-being and how they can get the best out of being at school. But there is often very little consideration for the teachers and what they have to go through in terms of their own well-being and how they can take care of themselves while they take care of the students. And so for me, instead of focusing on more interventions for students and more of the same type of teacher development that we see a lot of, which is how teachers can be better. You know, it's like teaching them stuff they know over and over again. I decided to change it and just offer something else and to focus on them as being the important person in the room. The students are very important, but 
but if the teacher isn't at their best, then the students will never be. Um, and also part of what I'm doing is about building a community that can support educators. Um, because quite often the demands that are put on them are far too much and they're always increasing. Every year there's a new thing that teachers are expected to do. So I thought about building something that can help teachers to be better, but also help other people to step up and start taking some of the responsibility instead of just criticizing teachers all the time. So your main focus is on teachers? Yeah, it's on teachers, but it's also a community project. So it's about bringing all the people in the community who are doing amazing things in terms of well-being and education to work in collaboration with teachers. And, you know, that starts with the podcast, which is all about just getting those people talking to each other and knowing that each other exists so that they can then begin to collaborate and work together as a team, kind of like a tribe or a community, you know, like they said, it takes a village to raise a child, but there's no village. There is no village. The village broke down a long time ago. So for me, I'm trying to build that village from right here where I am. Um, it's everybody's responsibility, basically, to raise kids, and teachers can't have all of the responsibility put on them. Well, that is that's kind of noble, and I wish so many people just follow their passion because it is. You see, so many the, the purpose of this podcast is actually for professionals like yourself who are from who are diasporans, who are not in their country of origin. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm originally from Scotland. I was born in Scotland. Um, I moved to England when I was nine years old um, because my dad is Jamaican and he didn't want to live in Scotland as a Jamaican at that time. That was in the late 70s, you know, early 80s. Um, he felt like he needed to be somewhere that was more multicultural. Um, so he moved with me and my sister at the time to England and we grew up in Nottingham. And I grew up in a, in a quite a multicultural community there. We had lots of different people from different backgrounds and, you know, we went to a, a really mixed school with lots of other kids from India and Pakistan and, you know, Africa and the Caribbean. Um, so that was my early experiences. Um, and my parents were mixed. My mother was Scottish and my father was Jamaican and that was quite an interesting experience growing up because you just grow up across two cultures and um, I didn't have a lot of exposure to my mother's side of the family when I was growing up it was mainly my dad so for a long time I, I just saw myself as a Jamaican person because that's all I knew <laughs> <laughs> that's all I knew you know and then as I grew older and I just had more and more exposure to different things and you know it's still a strong part of my identity um, because I think that that's just, that's just the nature of being a human. You identify with the culture that you're most exposed to. So, yeah, my, my experience has kind of, you know, I've been quite, quite diverse from a young age. Yeah, I can see that. Does that is, 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 was that um, one of the reasons you kind of tried to explore outside the UK? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was always captivated by my dad's story and why he would pick up himself and leave Jamaica and go to England. I never understood it because um, I, I always thought that England was such a dull place when I was growing up as a child. <laughs> so I think that his, his traveling spirit was in me um, and I always wanted to travel. Um, and as soon as I got a passport, I didn't get a passport until I was in my 20s, actually. My first holiday was in my 20s. Um, 
But I remember thinking about my children at the time, them traveling and they were so young. And I was thinking, wow, imagine if I'd traveled when I was their age, it would have been great. And then when I traveled with my son, the first time I took him abroad, he was six months old. And I think that was when I really realized that I wanted to live abroad. I didn't just want to travel and see different countries. I wanted to experience what it was like to live in a completely different place. And so I started searching different countries where I could go and things like that. And it was a, it was a big search. I, I applied for jobs all over the world and then eventually ended up in Doha. Eventually Doha called you. And now, and now you're changing the world. That's the power of, um, of being a diaspora. You can travel, you can pick your bag, you can just go anywhere and plant your flag and change the world. Now you are changing the world, you are changing the world through, your, through your current business, which is being, uh, well-being and wonder. Was there any, any defining moments in your, in your experience that you could share more light on? Yeah, definitely. Um, the defining moment came when I reached a point where I was burned out as an educator. Um, I always thought that I had more than enough energy to get me through my career as an educator. But very early on, I used to say that if I ever got to a point, I used to see these tired teachers when I first started. And I started when I was quite young. I was in my early 20s. And I used to see these tired educators who were like 40, 45, you know, that kind of thing. And they've been teaching for years. And I, was, and I promised myself very early on, when I saw their lack of drive and their lack of enthusiasm, that if I ever got to that point, I would quit. Because I would never want to be that teacher who stood at the front of the classroom and made the, te the students feel like they weren't welcome just because I was tired and worn out. And so, of course, as life always throws, at you, it throws you a curveball, I did get to that point where I was tired. Um, and I felt like I was, I was worn out from teaching. And the type of teaching I do is not regular classroom teaching, it's very intense. So I work with students who often they don't want to be there from day one. They don't want to be there because they've had bad experiences. And so I have to really connect with them as a human being first before I can get any academics out of them. So I reached that point probably quicker than a regular classroom teacher would because it was so intense. And I, it started, I think, around three years ago when I started to find that I was just too tired to go to work, physically drained, emotionally drained. And combining that with, with personal issues as well as an educator, it's just overwhelming because you can't have a bad day in my job. You can't turn up and just not care because the students will feel that and it will disconnect you from them. And then you lose all the work that you've done to get them to build up that trust and everything with you. So that was around three years ago. I first noticed that pattern and I was watching it and it would come along at the end of every semester. I would just feel exhausted and just like really worn out and just, over the job and over the boys and over everything um but i think it all came to a head and i was trying different things you know i was taking care of myself i was doing courses in well-being myself trying to learn first to apply it to myself that's how i first got the passion for well-being was applying it to me in my own life um and it all came to a head last year where i had you know, I put my notice in for my job a couple of years ago and then I changed my mind because I felt like it just, I didn't know what I was leaving it to go and do. I felt like it was me and I just needed to figure out how to make it me. Um, but then at the, end, at the beginning of last year, um, 2019, I found out I was quite sick. Um, I went for a checkup about something and when I went to the doctor, the doctor had told me that I was really ill and that I needed to take some time um, for myself 
and just to recover from an injury that I'd been suffering from for a long time. Um, and it was at that point that I realized that I had to walk the walk before I could talk the talk. So I'd had these ambitions of going out and talking to teachers about well-being as a result. But then I realized that until I'd actually taken care of myself properly and corrected my own health situation and then got back, you know, my strength, it was only then that I would be able to take that message to other people. So I was off work for six weeks. I had a sur multiple surgeries to correct, you know, health issues that I had. And then after I'd had that six weeks and had the reflection, I considered again, am I going to quit teaching? Because this is just too much. I had to come back on a reduced timetable for the rest of that academic year. And even after the summer, I wasn't sure if I was going to come back to teaching full time. I felt like I just wouldn't be able to do the same pace anymore. And so I started to think about how I could step into the role um, of a well-being educator for teachers more fully instead of just doing it part time and just kind of trying to you know fit it in around things I could actually live it and then share it with other people because I felt like it was really important um, and so that's that's what happened I got sick basically like a lot of teachers do but instead of quitting I decided to get well and come back and help other people the skills that I'd learned from working with really difficult students and share them with other teachers and how I could create a community that would help us as teachers to do our job because I realized when I was reflecting on my own experience that what had happened was that I kept um, trying to do things by myself as an educator because it was my responsibility to look after my students but that the expectations that were being placed on us and increased every year were too much it just wasn't realistic to expect us to be able to do those things and take care of ourselves. And actually the people that really suffer in the long run are the students, because what happens is eventually when teachers have had enough, they just quit. And that cycle becomes something that students are exposed to year in, year out. And over a certain number of years, they disconnect from the system because there's no human connection. Nobody stays with them and sees the course. You know, some teachers quit mid-year because it's just too much. And I wanted to find what we could do to stop that from happening. And also what I noticed was that there was a lot of passion um, for other people in other professions. And you know, other professions get all this marketing and all this glamour and everything around it, but then educators who do the most amazing job in the world just are in the background all the time. It's not considered glamorous, it doesn't pay high, no one markets it, there are no documentaries about it. I remember Googling you know, documentaries about teacher well-being, and there weren't any. So I was like, oh, okay. We need to make some. We need to document the story of education because it's important. It affects everybody. Um, so for me, I just started to see, think of ways that I could expand my work. And I knew that I wanted to train teachers. I knew that I wanted to talk to teachers, to take the show on the road, basically, um, in a way that no one else had ever done. And I just started to think of creative ways to do that. I can see so much energy when you started talking about that because... I see, <clears throat> I see that this um, this experience you just spoke about now about your defining moment with so much um, with so much professionals from the African and Caribbean background or mostly diasporans who because they are like doctors or because they have these professionals they work very challenging jobs and challenging times. They don't have time for them, for themselves, for their, for their own well-beings. And I think what you're doing is so amazing for the teachers and people you're going to impact. So 
would you say um, when you when you shifted to kind of um, when you shifted to starting this um, well-being and wonder? Did you would you say that was? Hmm, how can I say this now? Would you say that was you felt really good about yourself? Definitely, yeah. Uh, um, there's something about life. You know when you're living your life and you feel like you should be doing more, but you know you're not doing more, that, is, that also adds to your stress. That's what I realized. Sometimes we think we don't have energy to do more, but what we actually have is a stagnant energy. We have an energy that's collected inside of us that we're not doing anything with it. And that is, it's like a burden on your back. And the only way you can, can find out how much energy you've got and how much you can give is to keep giving. You know, and the more you give, the more energy you get. It's like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So for me, I just feel like you can always do more, but it's just how you do it. You know, maybe it's not doing more work. Maybe it's just talking to more people. And that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to talk to more people and give them a chance to talk to each other because that's how things get done. It's when people start to talk and share their experiences that things in the world really start to improve for the better. So that's where I started to put my focus. It was on the communication and the community. And then that really makes you feel good about yourself because you realize that what you're doing is connecting people to each other. And now they're supporting each other and they're helping each other. And you can feel good about knowing that you did that, you made that initial connection. So I feel really good about myself. And I feel like the more I'm doing, the more I'm healing myself. That's how that, and that's how the impact is having on me and how I feel about myself. If you want to like, if you want to like advise someone who is on that state that you were, that you came out of shining, what would you say to that, um, to that person? Um, what I would say to them is to remember the reasons why they chose to do what they chose to do. So if they're a teacher and they find themselves stressed out and fed up and feeling like they want to quit, they have to take themselves back to that day when they first decided to be a teacher or back to that day when they first realized they were a teacher. You know, that day when you first got your first job and you put on your best outfit and you felt really proud of yourself or the moment when you graduated from university with your degree and you were, and you were full of dreams and full of goals and full of aspirations of taking good things into the world and doing an amazing job. I think people lose sight of that sometimes when the pressure hits and it doesn't matter how much you love your job. You, there's always going to be days where that's, you're going to have that feeling where it just loses its color. And I think that you always have to go back to that point and remember why you chose to do that thing. But then there's also a part of it where you have to look at yourself as a complete person and know what your talents and skills are um, and try and connect that into your job. Um, I don't believe that jobs should be separate from your personal life. I think that the idea of this is my job and my professionalism and this is my personal life separately over here, I think that's old fashioned. And I think it worked for a while. But now in the, in the world where work has become so many of the hours, it takes up so many hours. Now you've got masses of people who are talking about quitting the day job and following their passion. But not everyone can quit the day job and follow their passion because their day job was their passion at some point. And all they need to do is reconnect into that passion. And so I would encourage those people to find that. If you hate the job and you really know you hate it, then quit, by all means quit and go and pursue your passion. But if that's not the case and you're just tired and you just need a refresher, then find a way to 
connect back into your passion and to bring your passions into the classroom or into the job so that you can share them with other people. Wow, wow, wow. That is, that is a great advice there. That is a very great advice. So what is one tactic that has been a big impact in your, in your success of moving forward? Um, I would say, can I cheat and say two? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. I, the first one is my organization. I'm incredibly organized. Um, it falls down sometimes, um, especially when I'm tired or I'm overwhelmed by tasks or I'm sick or something and I fall behind. But in general, I'm a very organized teacher and a very organized person. So I keep everything in systems. Um, I use a lot of documentation and a lot of charts and a lot of logs and things like that um, to keep me on track. Um, and to keep my students on track. And also I have systems and routines and rituals that I go through for anything that's special to me. I try and automate it. So in the last few years, what's allowed me to be able to develop other projects such as the podcast, people think I do it in work hours, but actually I don't. I do it after work um, and I do it in holidays. But how I manage to have energy to do that is I automate a lot of the processes that happen in work. So the lesson planning and the preparing of the students' resources and all of that kind of stuff. I don't wear myself out during the day with that. I conserve my energy in the day for my students so they get the most of my energy. And then my colleagues, they get the rest of the energy. And then documentation and stuff like that is pretty much automated because I've been doing it for a long time. So I'm able to come up with systems that make it easy. Um, so I do that a lot and that relieves pressure. But also the other thing is that I'm always looking for creative ways to add something new. So I never get to the point where I'm like, okay, everything's automated. And that means I can just sit on YouTube during the workday. I don't do that. What I do is with the spare time that I'm left during the workday that other people would be planning, I use that to look for creative things that I can add on to my teaching. So I find new resources. I go and connect with other educators online. So if I am on YouTube, I'm watching a YouTube video about learning or teaching or some kind of technique. If I'm on social media, I'm connecting with other educators or I'm setting up appointments for the podcast or I'm sending emails to encourage other educators or something like that. Even on social media, I only go on social media to connect with other educators and stuff to do with education. So I'm always looking for new ideas and I'm creative in how I make that happen. Um, when I go for professional development opportunities, even if they're boring, I find a creative way to make it interesting so that I can bring something back to share in my teaching or with my colleagues or with my students. So it's kind of, it's all in one, but it's two. It's creativity and organization skills. You know, you know I'm not gonna go away without speaking about your mini-me. What's going on with mini-me these days? <laughs> mini-me, <laughs> she, she's um, she shrunk even can smaller. You, can, can you introduce mini-me to, 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 to my audience, please? Yeah, Mini-Me is my um, previous self. She's like a little doll and um, she represents the previous self that I identified. I went on a coaching workshop um, when I was going on this journey of how I could get over my fear of public speaking. I joined Toastmasters and I joined Broadcast Yourself London Real and I also did a lot of other self-development um, self workshops and coaching online and offline. Um, and one workshop I went to it was um, by a a company here in Doha and it was about um, overcoming speaking saboteurs, public speaking saboteurs. And they gave us this exercise to do where we have to go back in our history or in our childhood or wherever and identify the point at which we 
got stuck with speaking in public and telling our story. And they gave this really nice illustration about how to do that. And for me, being a visual and creative person, I identified that as a, as a little doll. And so I went out from that workshop and I bought a little doll and I kept the doll as a representation of a small version of me, quite literally. Um, and the doll's quite significant because it's, it's a doll from um, a movie. I think it's called Frozen. And there's a, there's a famous song. Anyone who's got kids knows the song. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. So I got the little doll from Frozen, Let It Go, as an image for me to let go of that person. And I called it Mini Me. Um, and then, as you know, as a fellow podcast, you know, person, uh, on the Broadcast Yourself group, um, we had to um, create an alter ego. So when I, I and I, I already had an alter ego before that, and my alter ego was well-being woman. And I kind of invented her a while ago and I, and she was the opposition for mini me. So I'd already been through this exercise of creating an alter ego called well-being woman and putting her in a battle against mini me. Um, and I kept mini me as just a reminder of how far I'd come and wherever she is, she, she goes in different places. Sometimes I take her with me on plate to places in the bag or whatever, just as a reminder. Um, and sometimes she's at home, but whenever I see her, she's a reminder of, the version of me that always used my fear of speaking in public and the fact that I was shy and didn't really like to talk and I had quite a, quite a quirky personality that I felt like people didn't really, didn't really get me. So I kept silent for many years and she's there as a reminder of that it's not a good thing to keep silent, um, even if you're going to be judged or, you know, not everyone's going to like you, but um, you're not there for the people who don't like you, you're there for the people who do, so you have to speak. Um, and that's kind of like the story of mini me. So, are we looking forward to a life-size, um, a life-size statue of well-being woman? <laughs> I'm her. I'm the life-size statue of well-being woman. So wherever I will be, that will be well-being woman. Um, oh. That's who I see myself as now. Good, good, good. So we've spoken about so many stuff, and I am so grateful for you to be on my podcast and. What are the three favorite tools that you use on a daily basis? Okay, so my, my three favorite tools, uh, they change, in all honesty. It depends on the day and or, what I need. Or let, me, let, let me rephrase that. What are the three favorite tools that you use to, um, to support your, your passion business now, your well-being, your well-being and wonder business? Yeah, at the moment, um, my absolute favorite tool has got to be my phone because I'm using it for so much so much I'm using it for social media I'm using it for recording I'm using it for ideas so I'm not a big phone person and that's kind of new it's emerged lately but now I realize how much when you're doing something high profile and something in the public you really need your phone um, so my phone has stepped up into you know one of my tools but also notebooks. I, I can't live without notebooks and planners because I'm really organized. And I do like organizing on the phone, but only for certain tasks. I'm a writing person and a creative, so I need a notebook or a different notebooks with me. I have three with me at the moment. I have an ideas book, I have a scheduling book, and I have an, another notebook that has like business cards and things in it. So that's important. But also I think in terms of my well-being, um, a tool that I've noticed gets me through is just like snacks and coffee. <laughs> I got snacks <laughs> and coffee. I have rituals for coffee, um, and I live in the work in the Middle East. So in the Middle East, when you work in an office job, you have on the phone 
um, a speed dial for a coffee um, man who can save your life at any moment by bringing you your favorite coffee. So my coffee is <laughs> stockpiled in the pantry and I just have to sit here at my desk and just call, good morning, how are you? Can I have my coffee, please? And he knows exactly how to make it as well. Um, so that helps me get through the day. Coffee is just like one of my pleasures. I love coffee um, and snacks, healthy snacks. I always have healthy snacks with me. Um, and that helps me when I'm busy as a teacher, but also when I'm on the go running from work to go and see a podcast guest or to make some kind of connection for the business or something like that, having healthy snacks and a flask of coffee just helps me to get through the day and feel grounded. I thought you wanted to mention your essential, your essential oils now. <laughs> yeah, my essential oils as well, actually. As we speak, behind me, I have an oil burner. It's like a, a diffuser, and it diffuses essential oils into the air. Um, it came from, I've loved aromatherapy for many years. I've been practicing it for many years. So um, I use different oils for different things, but I, I always make sure that my room, because it's my classroom and my office, I always make sure it smells inviting. So I'm known here by students and some members of staff as somebody that has a very nice smelling room um, because I diffuse essential oils into the atmosphere and it just helps to calm me down and just connect me to the world and just, it just makes the room welcoming for people who are coming in as well. So it's for my well-being and for other people's. Yeah. We've been together now for about eight weeks on an eight-week program now for with, with Brand Rose, Brushcatch Yourself. And we're kind of like a tight knit family now. So, moving forward in the next ninety days, what are your goals in the next ninety days for your business? Well, in the next ninety days, I'm just trying to keep the momentum that we got from the course because we got a really nice pace going. And um, the speed of the course was such that we didn't have time to procrastinate and just like not get things done. So, over the next ninety days, I just want to keep that flow going. I want to keep booking my guests and keep having, you know, getting the interviews done and getting the episodes uploaded and just connecting with people in the community. But also I learned a lot about social media on the course. I wasn't a user of social media before. Um, I'd started accounts a number of times, but I never really kept up with them because I felt like it wasn't important. But now I feel like it's a main way that I connect with people online. Um, a lot of people have started to approach me and ask me about the business and ask me about the coaching and ask me about how they can have me in their school and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really interested in just following up all those people over the next 90 days and um, continuing to book guests and connect with people online and just establish a strong routine away from the course based on what we learned that can help me to just keep going forward and building from there. Um, I've also got some workshops over the next 90 days and instead of just doing those workshops and then going back to my office, um, I will plan to do those workshops and then talk about them on social media and share them with people so that they can benefit from what we learned um, and also get my head around YouTube. Um, I did upload on YouTube the um, launch video and I quite liked that and some people were really happy with that. And They mentioned to me at the beginning, my mini audience, when I was asking them about the podcast, they had said to me, no, Carla, we really think you should do video. Um, because you're much more engaging on video because we know you personally and we know that face to face you are much more uh, energetic than you sound <laughs> on just a podcast so I'm really trying to get my head around YouTube as well and just kind of launch a few videos there and just get some interaction happening on YouTube so over the 90 days that would be what I'm focusing on 
That is fantastic. So can you just tell us, um, we're running up now, so about your podcast and where they can find you? So my podcast is called Wellbeing and Wonder. You can find it on Anchor, iTunes, all the main platforms for podcasts. Um, you can also just Google me and find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me uh, at Carla Magdalene on Instagram. Um, connect with me, tell me your stories, tell me about your school life, what you liked about school, what you didn't, you know, I think that my name is quite rare, Carla Magdalene, so if you just stick me in Google, I'll come up somewhere. Um, and my podcast is on iTunes and Spotify. They're the two main platforms, but they are available uh, on many others as well. All right. Thank you very much for, 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 for spending this morning or this afternoon with us. We are in the morning in the UK while you are in the afternoon in Doha. So it's been an amazing time chatting with you. And I'm very, very grateful. And I wish you all the best in your journey to helping lots and lots of teachers and creating the well-being community. So I am grateful for you to be here today. Thank you very much, Carla. It's my pleasure. And I wish you the same on your journey as well. And that we just keep connecting with each other and sharing our messages. No worries. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. So diaspora entrepreneurs, there are different ways for you to create the lifestyle that you want. You don't, need to, you don't necessarily need to change a profession. You can as well just go in deep and start helping others in your profession, just like Carla did. You also can do it. And you can see that she's finding so much passion. She's saying, look, when she starts talking about her ideas, her, her face lit up. So you can do the same. You can do the same. If you love your job, if you're passionate about your job, you can actually change your state and help enough others that is it so live your best life and once again this is victor osio the diaspora shifts signing out